Welcome to Ravel Radio. I'm your host, Kara Steinman, and I'm all about helping women entrepreneurs get connected. We live in a society that benefits from women being disconnected from ourselves and disconnected from each other, often at the expense of our financial, physical, and mental health. And that really pisses me off. I believe the key to dismantling those systems of oppression lies smack dab in the collective power of women. I've made it my mission to help remove the obstacles that keep us separate so we can join forces, build more wealth, and make a bigger impact together than we ever could alone. These are the conversations that will get us there. Who's coming with me? We're here. We're going to have a conversation. Um, Leon or Leon? Leon. Leon. Yeah. Okay. So Melissa Leon, we're going to have a conversation. I'll, if you want to introduce yourself, uh, mm-hmm. tell everybody who doesn't know you, um, what you're all about and what you do mm-hmm. right now. Are you ready? Yeah, go do it. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. Melissa Leon. I'm in Phoenix. As we said, um, <laughs> I am a business owner. I own Two Cents Consulting, which is fractional CFO for small businesses. I'm a mom of three. I um, am a author. I wrote Efficiency Bitch, which you can see back here. Uh, the, the subtitle name. of that is How Ambitious Women Can Have It All Without Doing It All. I host a podcast by the same name. Um, all around, just a busy little bee. I like to get involved in stuff. I like to do things. I'm on the board at Planned Parenthood in Arizona, as well as a youth ranch camp here. Um And I have a lot of passion for money in particular, like not having it, but teaching people how to, I mean, having it, I suppose, but that's not the main goal. Um, Teaching people how to use money and leverage money, understand their money is is really where where I'm most fulfilled. I spend a lot of time at um, universities, Arizona State and Grand Canyon University guest lecturing and mentoring students. So I- uh, Put your fingers in a row of pies. Yeah. (laughs) So I know this, but for anybody who doesn't know this, bitch is an acronym. We're not actually just like being bitchy over here. So explain what the the bitch is all about. Yeah. um, So originally I called my mom an efficiency bitch in a fight at age 18. And I was not (laughs) trying trying to be nice. I was being kind of nasty. And she took it like, yeah, I am. That's good. I am one. And it became a love language for us. So for the last 25 plus years, we've been referring to each other as EB or efficiency bitch, my mom and my sister and I. So it became a love language for the three of us. And it was just kind of our own internal joke um, until I decided I wanted to write a book and start a podcast and I didn't know what to call it. And my sister said, it's efficiency bitch. And I was like, yeah, you're right. It is. Um, And so from there, it evolved a bit further as I was like really honing my craft. You know, it takes a little while to get all of the little pieces to come together. And it eventually became an acronym, um, which stands for bank because money, that's my, that's my job. Um, Inbox, which is like task management, time for time management, connection, which is the human relationships that are required to have an efficient and complete life. Um, and then harmony, which is like the bow that ties it all together. We'd originally talked about happiness or health being the H, but it didn't completely fit. So harmony was really that agreement that, um, that I'm always striving for in my you know, the reason I want to be efficient is so that I can have harmony. So all kind of came together and uh, wrote a book about it. And every podcast has a different letter. So we'll talk about harmony and one we'll talk about bank. They're all intertwined, right? They all go together, but um, it's been a fun little journey. I love that. I think it's hilarious that you called your mom that. I did. It was not a nice (laughs) thing. I, she was not, I I didn't like, 
You know what? It's interesting about that word is that, you know, we call each other bitches and it's supposed to be a bad thing. But she was like, fuck yeah, I'm a bitch. Yep. She totally did. What am I, some kind of pushover? She totally did. And, you know, it's interesting when I when I decided that I wanted to use that and I started like testing it with friends or people, some women were like, you cannot say that it's a derogatory term. You cannot put that like, how could you? Other people were like, hell yeah, that's me. Like, put that all over the place. And other people kind of saw both sides. So I did a ton of research on the word. And the the word, I mean, everybody knows it means female dog, but the word became derogatory in the United States during women's suffrage. So in the 1920s, where women were fighting for their rights to vote, journalists were referring to the suffragettes as bitches, like dogs in heat, fighting for something that they wanted. And when I Jesus. put it in that context, like, hell yeah, I'm not all day, yeah. all day, well, every day. I love it because it's polarizing. When I first, like it was when, because I came on your podcast recently and we talked mm-hmm. about connection when um, I first came across your podcast and it was the Efficiency B podcast. I was like, well, that's kind of interesting. And then I learned it was bitch. Yep. And I was like, oh yeah, she's my people. Like, you know, I, and- so I'd be in that camp for you. Like, hell yeah, put it everywhere. <laughs> the reason it was Efficiency B for a very long time was because Meta would not allow me to put bitch on Facebook or Instagram. And which I is had... exactly why my community is not on Facebook. I yeah. hate that censorship. That is such bullshit. Yep. Ugh. And I had to figure out a way to get it out there. And so I called it efficiency B and that was fine, but it didn't have the complete like story to it. Right. It did help me, however, figure out that the B was my mascot. Right. And so on the cover of my book, there's a B and her wings are an E and a B. Um, and so that oh, I see that now behind you. Yeah, the book. it just kind of all came together, you know, and sometimes it takes those what what feel like roadblocks or feel yeah. like, oh, I can't put my full name on Meta. It turned into something cool. And now it's back because Meta's taken it off. So um, <laughs> it, it's funny how things just evolve and you just got to roll with the punches sometimes. I heard something. I heard a kind of cool quote the other day and I don't remember where it came from or who said it, but it was something like. The next time you think you're you've been buried in dirt or under a pile of shit, consider that you might have just been planted. Totally, was love kind that. of a good. I was like, okay, okay, maybe yeah. there's something going on here that will help me grow. Okay, I mean, most of us can look back at those times where we've been buried in shit and see the growth that happens later. They make the best stories, right? Totally. It just sucks to get through it, and yeah, you just have to keep moving. In fact, my 12 year old heard that in a song the other day, if you're going through hell, keep on going. And she was like, I don't understand. And so it gave us that opportunity to kind of like talk about sometimes you go through pieces where you just have to take the next best step. Sometimes it's never when you're in those moments, which you will be in those moments, kiddo, like life is full of them. (laughs) That actually reminds me of a conversation I had with a girlfriend yesterday, who's going through kind of a tough financial time in her business right now. And we were, you know, she's, we were talking about how unfortunate it is that women don't get the same kind of financial education growing mm-hmm. up. Like nobody got, I didn't, I wasn't even taught to balance my checkbook for Christ's yep. sake, let mm-hmm. alone understand the ins and outs of business and finance. And like our financial literacy as women is really stunted. Yep. It's, it's a hundred percent why I have a job. It's a hundred percent why I'm so passionate about what I do. Um, I mean, women in this country were not given credit cards until 1974. So my mother was almost 30 when she got the right to have a credit card. Didn't have one for a very long time, but had the right to have one. And like, I don't know when you, when were you, did you grow up in the eighties? 
Yeah, I'm. Okay. I'm a. I graduated high school in 1999. So okay, um, I was 98. So yeah. I'm right there with you. Yep. So I, you know, we grew up with our moms being relatively liberated, right? Or yep. we thought, and they're like, you can do anything you want to do. I just found out recently that until like 1989, women could not get a business loan without their husband co-signing. Mm-hmm. That blew my mind. I was nine years old. Yeah. And there was no Family Medical Leave Act until the mid-1990s, which meant if you could work if you were a woman, but if you planned to have a baby, you were going to have to quit and come back because no one was going to hold your job for you. I mean, we feel like we were raised by liberated women. And those women are the ones that got to where we are today so that my daughters will have the ability to have the same things. And I've been doing a lot of thinking on this and it came up for me again last night. There was certain things that parents wanted for their sons. You know, you got to learn to be handy. You got to be the breadwinner. You got to blah, 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 blah. There was certain things they wanted for their daughters. You have to know how to sew. You have to know how to cook. You have to know how to be that. I can't think of a single thing that I want for my son that I don't want for my daughters and vice versa. It's not that I want my daughters to be liberated and empowered. I want that for my son too. I want my son to know how to cook just as much as my daughters. I want them all to know how to manage money. And I think we're finally starting to get to this point where gender equality actually has a shot in the next generation. Um, We're still... We have a long ways to go, but we've come a really long way. Um, And so there's a lot to celebrate over the last 100 years of, like I said, I did a lot of research on it when I was using the B word. Um, (laughs) And there's a lot still to go. And it's not just in male, female. Obviously, there's a lot of groups to fight for. Um, It's often the one that is easiest to talk about for a lot of people is the male, female piece. Hey there. Sorry to interrupt. I wanted to pop in here real quick and say thanks for being here. If you're enjoying this episode, I've got a special treat for you. You can now get early access to the full uncut Ravel Radio episodes, as well as bonus conversations exploring everything from feminist entrepreneurship to neurodiverse business strategies. It's a little bit like being a fly on the wall for a really juicy conversation. And it's free. All you have to do to get the inside scoop is subscribe to our private podcast called Unraveled. To get access, just visit RavelCollective.com slash Unraveled to sign up and start listening. The link is in the show notes, and I hope to see you there. And I, I do believe that generations of men are starting to step up. My grandfather certainly wouldn't have a lot in common with my husband. Let's say that. Yeah. I'd, you know, my grandfather was definitely the like, go to the man cave and smoke a cigar all night or go to the saloons. And like that, that stuff was legit. And it's not anymore. So I think there's a lot of hope for for the next generation. But for me, a lot of it comes into teaching women about money. Um, You should introduce your friend to me because I would love to help her with some of those pieces on her business. It's a, it is something that is really uncomfortable and can be very exposing to talk about money. I talk about money all day, every day. So for me, it's very comfortable and very natural. My first job in life was as a bank teller at age 16. So for me, it's common. Um, And I enjoy it. Have you read Patriarchy Stress Disorder? No. It's a really interesting book. Mm -hmm. And she talks about how power is really like we have this visceral response to power because we were burned at the stake. There's this like three levels of trauma that we experience as women, this ancestral trauma from like our ancestors being burned at the stake for having quote power Mm -hmm. and that lives in our DNA. And then there's this collective trauma from us seeing other women oppressed for having power or expressing some kind of power. And then our own trauma from whatever we've experienced in life. But money is 
essentially like a, a token of power today. So I wonder how often I, in my own life, have resisted wielding too much power just mm-hmm. because it feels a little bit exposing or uh, like potentially I could be, I don't want to say threatened, but like it could be a negative. It could turn into a negative. I don't know. Yep. What do you think? Do you see that ever? Yeah. I mean, I think that women in particular hold a lot of generational garbage on their shoulders about money. Um, there's, there's a lot to it and it's, it's a little intimidating to think like, how do I take the next step forward? I mean, there's a lot, I say this in two different ways. There's a lot to know about finance. There's a lot to know about money, right? Is it just your day-to-day budget that you need help with? Is it learning how to save? Is it learning how to invest and understand the stock market? Is it, learning how to plan for retirement taxes. I mean, I'm, I've been in this 25 years and I'm still learning new things. That said, that can intimidate the hell out of a lot of people to say, I'm just getting started. How do I start? And the answer is you just take one step, just like we were talking about before, one step every day, learn something new, check out your, like the best thing you can do if you're doing nothing is start looking at your checking account and your credit card statements every single day. I look at my bank account probably two to three times a day because it helps me understand where my money's going and when it's coming in. There's a lot of tools that you can use in your bank, um, particularly the big banks like Bank of America, Chase, Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo is coming down the tier for me. But some of the other big banks have some really cool online tools that you can do where you can like put things in categories, right? This was a utility. This was was meals. um, Starting with something. And then as that starts to feel comfortable, you move on to the next piece. I... Um, when I guest lecture and and do speeches and stuff, I often use this analogy of a road trip with your money. You have to know your final destination, uh-huh. right? I, I plan to live to be a hundred. And so my final destination is a hundred and then I kind of back up into it. But when you're first learning to drive that car, it's really awkward. You slam on the brakes, you hit the gas too fast. The car jerks. There's some weird stuff that's happening. Same thing. You're going to feel uncomfortable. It's going to be a little weird. You're not going to know how to turn on your turn signal or the windshield wipers, but soon enough, it will be autopilot and you'll be able to manage some of those things as they come. That's practice. It's not just that some people are really great with money because they've been exposed to it. They've been practicing with their money for a long, long time. And and talking about it. Yeah. You have to talk about it in order to learn about it. And if you don't know who to talk to, call me. I will talk about it all day long and give you ideas and thoughts and things to chew on. There's some phenomenal podcasts out there. You don't have to pay lots and lots of money to get information on money. Um, Dave Ramsey built an incredible empire around talking on the radio about money to people. And like him or not, I, I have some, I agree with some of his philosophy and I disagree with some of his philosophy, but the difference there is I'm interested in his philosophy, right or wrong. You can take mm-hmm. it in and hear it and then decide if it works for you. Just because you're listening to somebody's ideas about money doesn't mean you have to follow them, but you in, you take it, you digest it mm-hmm. and, and, and move be on curious about it. Yeah. We actually, my husband and I did, did the whole Dave Ramsey thing. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know, like want to say maybe 15 years ago now, maybe a little bit less than that and paid off a ton of debt. Yep. He's, He's incredible at helping people get out of debt. Yeah. Incredible it, at it really like, is. I'm like you, I don't necessarily believe everything that I'm not buying the entire enchilada necessarily. Yep. And, and in fact, we didn't do the whole cash thing 
um, the whole the time envelopes. because yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't do the envelope thing. It was just too much happening in my wallet, yeah. but, um, but we did most of it. Well, and he's, his philosophies are phenomenal and it's just like anything, right? Like you're going to take all of it and they know you're going to really only take 80% of the vehicle yeah. and not a hundred percent, but you don't know which hundred percent you're not going to take. So the part that you didn't like somebody else loved and somebody else left out something else that you did and just hearing other people's ideas and other lessons that people have gone through is really important. You know, yeah things change. You, my, when my parents bought their first home in the early 1980s, interest rates were like 19%. When I bought my first home in 2011, interest rates were like almost zero, right? And now we're going back up again into another level of interest rates that are changing. It's been much, much higher than this before, but people are so focused on like the interest rates have gone up. Well, actually the anomaly, the blip was the low interest rates. That's the weird part, not not what we're going through now. And so sometimes depending on who you're talking to and how long they've been thinking about money or how old they are, they may have different philosophies. You talk to older generations, they're going to tell you not to use credit cards. I think credit cards are phenomenal when you figure out how to use them properly. You don't want to pay 30% interest, but if I just took my family of five to Dallas last weekend and didn't pay a penny on airfare. If you can figure out how to do that, you win with credit cards. If you pay 30% interest with credit cards, you're losing like big, big time. Cause that's what they're charging right now is 30%. Dang. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. My husband and I are in different, different camps there. I have credit cards and I pay them off every time I use them. So it works for me. Like I've got tons of rewards, yep. which is fabulous. My husband doesn't even have a credit card. He doesn't believe in it. He doesn't trust himself to yeah. have a credit card. And good for him for like recognizing <clears throat> that piece too, because it's, it's not for everybody, right? Like I don't drink alcohol. And I like NA beer and I will drink NA beer, but I'll talk to plenty of other people who don't drink alcohol and they're like, Ooh, I could never do that. It's too tempting. So oh, really? you got to know yourself too, right? Yeah, that's and true. That's figure so true. out what works for you. Um, and I think it's like that with everything and everybody has their thing. If it's spending or if it's drinking or if it's eating or if it's exercise, we all have that thing that's hard to face and hard to get a little bit, um, hard to take that first step because those things are really uncomfortable. What's part of the human experience is self-improvement. And that's the thing that I'm most fired up about these days is like always trying to get better. I like what you said about just starting to look at your bank account every day, like several times a day. It would never have occurred to me to do it several times a day. But like you just said, that's almost like a start to a desensitization process where yes. pretty soon maybe you don't feel so triggered by it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, look, look, I look at people's bank accounts all day, every day. It's part of what I do as a CFO. And so looking at my own is, is something I feel I need to do in order to ensure the health of it. Maybe mine's a little extreme because that's what I do for a living, but the desensitization, the desensitization, that's a tough one. I can't say it's, it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I got you. <laughs> it's a, it's a really hard thing to do for a lot of people. And just any change in income, any change in expense is really uncomfortable. I'm going through some major change financially in my personal life. And my husband left his corporate job and is working for two cents for my business. And it shifts your financial situation. And any change in those things can be very uncomfortable and trigger a lot of emotion, even for somebody like me who does this for a living. So don't feel weird or bad that it's uncomfortable. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, I invite you to join our private podcast, Unraveled. 
That's where you'll get early access to the raw, unedited Ravel Radio conversations, as well as bonus content. It's totally free and easy to subscribe. Just visit RavelCollective.com slash Unraveled to sign up.